Welcome to Iron and Ceremony, Librarius Omnis, where we explore the depths of the Black Library. Hello everyone and welcome to Iron and Ceramite present Librarius Omnis. My name is John and as always I'm joined by Shane. Shane, what relationship does the ideal gas law represent? <laughs> now I couldn't tell you off the top of my head but I know someone that could. <laughs> yeah. Well unfortunately you failed and you're going back to the dungeon. Yeah I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get sent back to the, uh, the dungeons of terror where uh, I'm gonna be burned alive for being a heretic. Yeah. Exactly. Stop fiddling with stuff. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, welcome to part two of our review of Mechanicum. Um, this is going to be the build up to something big, this part. This is all build to big things, isn't it? Yeah, I think it moves because uh, I, I listened. We obviously did, um, what did we do? Uh, the th- in part one, we did um, the first, first four parts. Yeah. And we'll cover the second four parts now, which is, is quite right. There is a lot of build here that does a lot of, a lot of good advancing of the plot. Yeah. I think it's quite interesting. It, it struck me while I was listening to, because obviously I listened to the audiobooks, while I was listening to the, the, the four chapters we're covering today, yesterday, it kind of struck me that actually when you think about Mechanicum, there are, there are three different stories happening three narrative strands that are actually happening during this entire piece that all come together in the end. But it it is set up as there are two really obvious stories and then there's there's a third one in there as well. So the two really obvious stories are um obviously the uh the creation of the uh, Akashic Akashic reader, um which is the uh obviously the one that um what you consider to be our protagonist. Yeah, um, is is following her and her little band of men, um, merry men and and women and the um, adept. Can't remember her name now. Zeph. Adept Zeph. Um, so that's that's what you tend to think of as your your key story, like the main narrative. Um, but actually, just as important to that is the uh, the one with the um, the knights of the uh, house house tempest and. Um, Princept Cavallero, mm-hmm. um, I think it's name, Cavallero, um, and and their thing and their um, kind of tensions with um, uh, what's it called the the the, the house uh, definitely bad guy name. I can't remember definitely name. bad guy name. There you go. Uh, oh, who, Mortis. Who's Mort- Mortis. So who's uh, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. So you've got um, obviously yeah, you've got. Cavalero, and then obviously mm. on the other side of it, you've got your um, uh, not Tyrannus, uh, Tyrannus, because that's the um, you got uh, they're okay as well. Who is it? It is Mortis. I'm sure it's Mortis. M- Mortis, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. They're the um, the bad guys, aren't they? But, yeah. So you've you've got those two. So you've got the uh, Legio Tem- Tempestus, and then. Uh, uh, House Mortis, who are who, their tensions are raising, r- rising as well. So they're they're the kind of two narratives that are that are happening, and then the third and final narrative that kind of starts, really starts in this section, is um, Regulus and Kelbor uh, Howe, yeah, and they're like Kelbor Howe's pursuit of knowledge, 
mm. um, and where that takes him and, and where he's pushed to, I would say. I, I mean, he's not pushed hard, don't get me wrong. No. It, it doesn't take a lot of effort. But Regulus is definitely there helping him get that way. And that there's, there's um, you know, analogies and, and commonalities to be drawn between kind of what's happening here on Mars yeah. and, you know, what Erebus is up to you know, whispering in the ears of uh, of, of, of the Astartes, Regulus, Regulus and Kelbo Howe are almost that type of relationship. But I think Kelbo Howe doesn't take much to get to get pushed. Mm. So it's it's interesting, but definitely in this section, those for me, those three narratives are the bits that come out come out strongest. Yeah, um, and so it does. Yeah, before you know it. As I said, the, the next four chapters will be uh, no, is over, and you're like you're on the precipice then of uh, of, of you know uh, a Martian war. Yeah, and that's it. We know from obviously part one um, at the council with the uh, basically it was declared, wasn't it? Uh, Camelos pretty much said, "Pick a side because you don't, pick, you don't want to pick the side I'm not on." Yes. Uh, and given that warning. So we know where it's going. And then we've got, like you say, we've got uh, Zeph and Dahlia underground with the team trying to do their own thing. Yeah. yeah. And it's yeah. all it's all heading in one direction. Indeed. War. War. We love it. War comes to Mars. Yeah. I'm sure cool. that was one of the uh, one of the subtitles, but it might be in another one of the books. Oh, is anyway. it? <laughs> yeah. War comes to Mars. I'm sure that's one of them. I may have just made that up. We'll take it. We'll run with it. I'm Sarah Might spin-off. <laughs> this has already been claimed, then we won't. May we may won't be. Yeah. yeah. All right. So if you um, are just joining us, then go back and watch part one of Mechanicum um, and catch up. So we don't we won't recap too much. Um, unless we um, obviously come across a few bits and pieces as we go. So yep. let's jump straight into it. And we begin now at chapter 1.04. So we have uh, Kelbor Howe. He's standing in his um, office, I think, best way to describe it, looking out over the um, view of Mars from his forge at Olympus Mons. Um, And essentially, he's got no real sense of humanity left in him. Uh, He's replaced most of it. Um, with machine, but even he um, can appreciate sort of the site um, that he's looking at, everything that he's built. But at the minute, he's just sort of um, the only feelings that he seems to be able to feel are anger and frustration, just the, the lack of, uh, I guess, everybody else is not as good as I am um, and, and why are things not going my way. Uh, and I think he's about 80% robot and um, everything that's left on him is just probably wanting meat at this point. And uh, yeah. he, the, the biggest thing that he's angry about is that he knows that his, his mind, the, the only real organic part of him um, only has a limited time left and he's going to lose all that he's worked for because of his weak human brain. Yeah. Um, so um, he's sort of looking out at um, the, his greatest creation is the Temple of All Knowledge. I think I said in the previous video that's where Dahlia landed and met Zeph, and I was wrong um, because that was she flew over the Temple of Knowledge and landed at Zeph. So if anyone picks me up before, 
<laughs> I realised when I when I was when I reread it. So anyway, I digress. Um, so the temple is a huge pyramid of pink and black marble with a dome of blue stone covered in iron spires, which pierce the sky, pumping toxic clouds out into the atmosphere. Um, the Olympus Mons Forge is so big it houses more workers, priests, and servitors than anywhere else, and where the untold amount of battle suits and weapons are produced for the expedition fleets. Um, and this forge is more of a region than a city. Yeah. Um, and he knows he should be proud of his achievement as he alone has uncovered more technology than any other and has overseen the longest reign and increased production of the Mechanicum than anyone before him. Um, but also that was an emotion he was glad to be rid of. Um, still watching the city. He's watching thousands of hooded menials and adepts uh, trailing along various paths. Uh, and there is a row of battle titans lining the roadway via the road of the Omnissiah. Again, untold factorum spread as far as the eye can see, and prayer ships of gold hovering above the city, emitting continuous prayers in binary, with scores of bobbing skull drones floating behind, with trails of parchments hanging from them. Uh, the workers below, praying and hoping the machine god will turn favour of them, and many believe the Omnissiah to be a living being, the same one who first arrived on Mars two centuries ago. Mm. But um, this is part of his frustration. Um, Kelbar Howe doesn't think of him as the Omnissiah. He thinks of him as the false god who enslaved the Martian priesthood with lies. Um, and uh, in the room with him at the minute is a gift from one of his allies, Lucas Crom, um, which is an automaton, a smooth, featureless robot, well-shaped uh, and given a suit of skin to wear. It would pass for human Although appearing unarmed, it's equipped with various digital weapons with its fingers and energised blades ready to spring from its extremities. Um, so I would say, obviously, Kelvar Hall's probably been a bad guy for a very long time, or at least um, not happy happy with his role. He's, he's interesting, right? Because he's, yeah, at this point, like, obviously, we, we've already, you've already heard of him a little bit in... Um, uh, Battle for the Abyss. Yeah. So you know, there's there's obviously sus 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 intention there already. Yeah. Um, it's it's interesting because, as I said, it it brings up a thread that comes a bit later on. Um, that is the 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 kind of thing that Mars is split both in terms of um almost religious religiosity in in yeah. in. in you know whether or not there is even an omnisire, and then secondly, whether that omnisire is is actually the emperor. And it, I'm, we'll come into it, I'm sure. But Kelbar Howe is very much of the opinion that he's not. You know, he's not the omnisire. He's a very naughty boy. Um, <laughs> and uh, but at the same time, uh, Zeph. Uh, also talks about it. I think it might be in the next chapter or the yeah. chapter after. She talks about it as well, and she's like, "No, I, you know, like I think the the emperor is a very smart man, mm-hmm. but he's just a man." And it's like she's, they're both kind of coming at it from the same way, but they approach it very different. Yeah, one one understands the idea and one resents the idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly that. And and like, don't get me wrong. This is this is what's strange about it as well. Both uh, under the current timeline of uh, 40k, 
would be massively heretical. Mm. <laughs> so yeah. would, it doesn't matter which side you, you pick of these two particular people in their approach. Both of them, as far as like, you know, uh, Astartes, the Council of Terror, everything that's ruling over the modern day Imperium, yeah. they would just be put to death. There's, oh, yeah. you know, that, that, that's it. So again, it goes into that gray area. And I don't, I don't even know how the Emperor would feel about it. I don't know whether he'd be like, you got me, Zeph, or yeah. whether, you know, because he's, he's, he's a pretty shrewd dude, maybe they would just be put to death. Oh, it's either she'll disappear and be working for him or something, or she'll be redacted pretty soon. Exactly, yeah. Um, so it, it's an interesting, it's interesting they got the pair of them, but yes, Kelbo Howell definitely... Yeah, as I said, is more it's coming across at this point, and we'll get to Zeth later, but yeah. it comes across as much more uh, resentful of um, the Emperor who who he kind of sees as someone that's you know has, has invaded Mars effectively and you know by uh, you know a bit of smoke and mirrors duplicity, however mm. you want to say it, has effectively tricked the 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 the, the, the old Martian priesthood the 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 priesthood from when he arrived yeah. into believing that he is he is the Omnissiah. Um and he Kelbohau does not believe that. No. Um and is and you know doesn't really care for the Imperium. Like he cares for himself and he cares very much for the pursuit of knowledge. So as as most Mechanicum at this in this age do, but he is very much driven by it to yeah. a to a point of um yeah, to, to a point further than most. Yeah. So he's um, disturbed when the automaton gives a warning to let him know people are approaching. So uh, he p- places a rubber flesh-like mask over his now fully mechanical face uh, and four people enter, uh, three in the robes of the Mechanicum and the other in dark um, robes of an ambassador. Um, and that's Melgator. Uh, the go-between of Mars and Terra. Um, he has some minor augmentations, but has kept his face and much of his humanity because he spends most of his time on Terra. Um, and obviously the change the Mechanicum makes themselves sort of put um, the Terrans at unease, essentially. Yeah. So he, he's um, not fully committed in um, many of the Martians' eyes. Um, and with him are two of Kelbor Howe's closest allies, who have so far followed him in everything. Uh, as I mentioned, Lucas Crom, who gave him the automaton, and then Ertzi uh, Marvelous, or Marvelous. Um, he is the Forge Master of Mars, and uh, Lucas Crom is the Forge Master of Mondus Gamma. Um, so Crom is the taller of the two, widely yeah. built with a dark crimson cape, uh, which barely covers his uh, heavy body, uh, loops of pipe and cables run between his ribs and his back, uh, which give him sort of the form of wings, and his face has been changed to an iron mask in the form of a grinning skull with wires spewing from the mouth with glowing red eye sockets. Um, who would have thought... The, the visage of a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who would have thought? <laughs> and um, Marvelous, uh, he has a darkened bronze face um, with three green eyes set deep beneath, deep beneath his hood. Uh, his robe is made of thick vulcanized rubber with huge power pack on his back. And it's so heavy, he has little suspensor fields holding it up. And there's a number of small probe robots flying around him. Mm-hmm. So it must look 
uh, quite bizarre. Um, and the final person who has not been on Mars in some time, having left his forge to uh, Kelbor Howe when he left to join the 63rd expedition. Um, and unlike the others, he wore his robe in such a way that you can't tell what lies beneath. Um, but Kelbor Howe knows that very little remains of his humanity. And this is Regulus, a favoured son of Mars. Um, and obviously we know Regulus from um, some of the earlier books as he was um, hanging out with Horus. Mm-hmm. And um, after it all went wrong, Horus sent him to spread the good word um, to Mars. And that's where he's gone. So uh, we know where this is going. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> um, so after greeting Zardun, uh, Kelwa asks for news of the Warmaster. Uh, and Regulus gives him the update in binary as opposed to talking. Um, and uh, Kelwa Howe had to deal with humans on Terra for many of the updates so far. And he hated the way that they just prattled on. And quite glad that Regulus would be brief and direct. Um, so much has happened following the Emperor's return to Terra. Alignments are shifting now. Uh, a new power has risen from the shadows, offering aid to those strong enough to heed their wisdom. Horus Lupercal is one such individual and now clearly a friend of the Mechanicum. Um, although he is emotionless, Cowboy Howe felt some emotion of anger. Um, I've heard these words before. When Verticorda brought the Emperor to my forge and made me bend the knee, promises were made but have never been kept. How is Horus any better? Um, and with that, an arm rose from behind Regulus, holding a small data wafer of silver and gold. Um, Regulus took this off of his extra arm and held this uh, disc out and offered it to uh, Kelber Howe. Um, and told him, on the world of Aurelius, the Warmaster defeated an old foe named the Tecrocranasi. Technocracy. Technocracy. I haven't had to say it in like 10 books. I was going to say, that's fine. Technocracy. (laughs) Um, And they discovered them to have armour similar to the Astartes and clear access to functioning STC tech, uh, which is, as we know, standard template construction, um, which um, Marvel's breathed hungrily from behind. Yeah, a big deal. Yeah. And um, so, surprised, he asks if um, they really had access to working STDs, because this is um, almost unheard of. And Regulus blows his mind when he says not just one, but two. Mm. Um, And that is something that has been unheard of in 119 years. Um, One has the information of an unknown design of Astartes' battle plate, and the other for the production of lightweight solar generators, enough to power an Epsilon 5 pattern forge complex. Um, I'm assuming that's pretty impressive for those who are into their um, Epsilon 5 pattern forge complexes. Who knows, but yeah. they, 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 they seem to be getting uh, switched on by it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, unfortunately, these construct machines were destroyed before Horace could secure them. Um, so, on top of the Mechanicum Christmas list are... Um, construct machines and STCs are a close second. They've had wars fought over these over thousands of years ago. Um, the Mechanicum used to raid the tribes of Earth or Terra, yep. taking these away from humanity um, before they had any idea what they were, until eventually the Emperor rose and forced them back to the surface of Mars before arriving in the guise of the Omnisite and offering friendship, although Kelber Howe knew it was an ultimatum to join him or be destroyed. 
Um, Regulus continues, Horus sends gifts along with a promise, these gifts along with a promise to be an ally to the Mechanicum, as equals, not as master and servant. And Kerbal Howe asks if the gifts have been given freely, and Regulus tells him, obviously, there is a price. Crom's yeah. um, the first one to shoot it down, saying that we've already done too much for him, uh, and now he's demanding more. Um, but the others tell him to be quiet and say they've come too far to back out now. Um, the destruction of Maximal's reactor and the death of Ab- Adept Ravachol, they yeah. were for nothing. Um, that's not something we've touched on, though. Is that something you know about? No. So, um, obviously, the, 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 the attack on Maximal's um, reactor was at the, the start of the book, right? Yeah. So that's, that's what you saw the first sort of Titan war. Suppose uh, Titan engagement was yeah. was to do with that, so we know we know about that. This death of an adept um, is 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 the first, so it's just touched upon now, right? So this yeah. is the first time it's touching upon it, yeah. but it's kind of like a um, like everything that's happening at the moment across the galaxy. Yeah, it's kind of like a political play. So this particular adept they know is one that is 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 more loyal or more favourable to the Omnissiah. So let's get rid of him and put who we yeah. want in charge of the uh, the forges. Hmm. So like, th- this isn't like a, a sudden thing, obviously. If, it, if that's happened before we've even got to this book, these guys have been plotting for a little while. Yeah, I mean, you can tell, like, you know, with... Reg- so Crom is just on the side of uh, Kelvor Howe, right? That's, yeah. That, that's just it. He's, I, I think he's less, you know, anti-emperor. I, I think the thing is, is a lot. Of, this is the thing with the, the Martians is, is a lot of them don't. A lot of them buy into it, and a lot of them also don't, and they're just yeah. doing it. You know, like that. The the union of Mars and Terra was supposed to be like a partnership. Yeah. And at the moment, they're feeling a bit of a raw deal mm. um, in in how that's going, and these three are kind of the ringleaders behind it. Although you would say that Crom is potentially. You know, maybe he's like, you know, maybe we've gone too far, but they're all like, no, we're in it now. This is this is the direction of travel. Yeah, when it when it was easy, and he knew he was going to get a bit of power and extra land out of it, and then uh, obviously now it's becoming a bit more real. He's, yeah, so you sort of see what well, they're I mean, really it, made of. It's, it's still shaping, going along with it. It's shaping up to uh, to civil war across, right? So yeah. it's it's not only going to cause civil war on Mars, but the wider Imperium, and yeah. may, maybe Crom hasn't had the foresight at this point that the others have to realise that that's the way it's going to go. Yeah. Um, anyway, so they, they um, back him down, and he agrees to go along, as he would, uh, and asks for the price, and Regulus tells him that Horace has demanded that uh, by the time his forces reach the Sol system, the Fabricator General has to have complete control of Mars. Mm-hmm. Any opposing factions are to be destroyed, he doesn't want any counterattacks when he reaches Terra, and as a reward, he will he will withdraw any non-Mechanicum forces from the Forge worlds. Um, Melgator steps forwards and asks what else Horus can offer in friendship, and Regulus tells him that he will lift all restrictions on research of forbidden technology. And as proof, Regulus brings with him the protocols will which will unlock the vaults of Moravec. Indeed. Um, Crom speaks first. The vaults have been sealed for a thousand years. The emperor decreed that they may never be opened. Um, and they sneer at him and say, um, we've already conspired against him. What does one more betrayal matter? 
And Melgasaur asks how Horus has the power to open them. And Regulus says, well, he is the Emperor's proxy and he knows everything that the Emperor knows. Um, if they don't want the protocols, then he will delete them from his memory banks and the plot can end. But um, he turns to Kelvin Howe and says, but that won't be necessary, will it? Um, and obviously um, the answer is no. And he uh, manages to um, twist his face into a bit of a smile, I think. Uh, Or what would consider to be a smile for whatever the hell he's got over his metal face. So we leave those guys plotting and we go um, to Dahlia and her team. They've been working now for five rotations and are having a lot of difficulty. Um, She knows they're close to finishing, but there are minor details they just can't transcribe well enough. Um, or it seems impossible to make certain parts fit. Um, Albeit having a struggle, they have been able to use their personal skills to get them so far, Um, and they are either on the brink of a triumph or defeat, but they they just can't tell what yet. Um, So Zooch is an engineer of extreme talent. He's able to make working parts with skill and precision in a very short time. Um, Caxton, he has a feel for machines and instinctively knows how to put something together with an understanding of how even a slight change could have a knock-on effect later down the line. Um, So he is essential and ideal to assemble the parts that Zooch is making. Um, Severine is an expert draftsman. Um, She's able to decipher the rough sketches of Dahlia into clear schematics uh, for Zooch to design. And uh, Massillon has an expert skill in a wider degree of engineering, um, which covers any gaps in the team. And she is also basically organising everyone and keeping them on track. Yep. So they've all got their part to play. And obviously we know Dahlia is sort of transcribing all these old parchments and bits and pieces and making sense out of um, things that shouldn't make sense. Um, so, so far, what they have built appears to be a sort of grav couch large enough for a human to sit in and fully recline. Um, they've been able to get going and great speed at great speed. Thanks to uh, Dahlia discovering the purpose of the machine for the point they're stuck on is a means of linking a, and supporting a cow that would cover the head of the user. Yep. So essentially it's like a connector pin and they can't figure out how to plug it in. Um, and although it seems like a minor expert, it's very pivotal because if not completed correctly, it will either break first time or potentially melt the brain of the person using it as it would not harness the correct energy. So only a small pin, but it's... Um, Makes a big difference. Yeah. Yeah, you wouldn't want to be the test dummy. No, no, indeed. <laughs> um, so at the minute, she saw Dahlia sat in despair, looking over these wax papers for inspiration um, and feels like a, a thick cloud of fog blocking the design from her vision. Um, and then as she has done before, she starts going into a bit of a robot mode um, and begins sketching, feeling this fog lift as something comes through to her inner vision. Um, and she works speedily and messily going over the papers and sketching away till finally she pictures in her mind the complete design perfectly. She produces a sketch showing they needed the complete redesign of their work. Um, so it takes them another 23 hours um, and they're finally putting the final piece of the machine together. Um, and we find out like, initially when she told them we've got to scrap it and start again, everyone was well against it um, yep. and managed to win them round and convince them. Uh, and the further they've gone, the more optimistic they've become. And essentially, I think the issue 
they had all along is they've been working to the traditions and rulings of the Principia Mechanicum and the tenants by which all workings and machinery are governed. Um, essentially, you're not allowed to tamper with yep. made designs, um, but she is here because she does tamper. Um, and by adjusting to what's on the written page, they've been able to come up with something that actually works. Yep. Um, and after a bit of celebrating, uh, Melison says they should take a short break before running all diagnostic te- tests. Uh, and Zeph pops out of nowhere and says that's not going to be necessary, accompanied by two protectors who we know to be Romu 31. But we don't know if they're the same Romu 31 um, that we've already met. <clears throat> so Zeph's over the moon with the machine, commending their work and stops to look at the original designs. Um, Dahlia says she's sorry, but they couldn't get it to work following her original plans. But she is sure that it works now. Um, and to her surprise, Zeph rips up the originals and says, of course, the machine was never going to work like that, but now it will, thanks to you. The design was theoretical only and components needed to complete didn't even exist until a few minutes ago. Um, and she knew that Dahlia had the ability to understand the hows and whys of the machines and knew she would overcome it. Um, and like we said, many of the components didn't exist until Dahlia fought outside the box. Um, and Melisin is shocked because they've created something new and that's not something that happens anymore. Uh, everything's already been created or yep. forgotten about. Um, Zeph stands proudly in front of them and says that they have given her a gift that will allow her to lift the Imperium into a golden age of scientific progress, not seen since the beginnings of humanity. Uh, And that's the end of chapter four. (laughs) (laughs) So they're on to something now. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, there's, there's a bit of... I mean, it, it's, it's a lot of heresy going on across the board. <laughs> <laughs> but it's early days. it's early days heresy, so it's fine. Are you not approving? I know, I'm fine with it. Yeah. But um, I, I think, like as I said, you can see in some of the team, they're like, um, you know, or we shouldn't be doing this, as, as you already mentioned. Like, one yeah. of the things is, is that, you know, part of the belief in the Omnisire and that side of it yeah. is the belief that everything has already been created mm. um, and you've just got to find it again. Well, I wonder if any of them actually know that Dahlia came out of a dungeon like less than a week ago. I don't know whether any of her team do. Obviously, yeah. I know like Zeph, Zeph knows it. Yeah. Zeph has got... But as it, as it comes, you know, as, as this section develops, yeah. um, you know, she's, she's got her own sketchy... Sort yeah. of side of things as well, and it's 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 interesting because, as I said, it's um, it is um, yeah, like it, it's kind of like like all of these things as you start to realise there's no good guys, no, there's no bad guys, mm. there's just different points of view, yeah, and actually, again, it's quite an Kelbor How and um, Zeth are not that different really because they're both pursuing knowledge um and arguably both to destructive ends um yeah but one seems more on the level than the other i suppose what is it yeah one's doing it out of spite and for his own gain and one's doing it because she thinks she's gonna she's doing the right thing yeah 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 yeah. she's gonna go 
Surprise, look what I've done. I've, done, I've made it better. Yeah, well, we, like, you know, other people have tried that yeah. and it didn't end very well for them. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, I mean, that's a, a couple of books away. We'll, we'll get to that, won't we? That uh, indeed, yes. Yeah. Um, anyway, Zeph did nothing wrong. Is that it? Zeph, Zeph yeah. hashtag Zeph did nothing wrong. Yeah. Hashtag, you know, how did nothing wrong? Well, well, yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll see. We'll get there. Anyway, so chapter 1.05 uh the fabricator locum the second in command and subordinate to the fabricator general um kane in the years prior he would work had worked alongside um Kelber, how ensuring that all factory quotas were met the correct uh, deviations to the machine god were observed uh, and everything was kept in check he appeared more human than many in the mechanicum opting for less obvious augmentations beneath his skin um, his face still human and only the blue glow behind his eyes giving anything away. Yeah. Um, nowadays, he spends less time with his master and more time with the various Legion representatives as they make demands for more weapons, ammo and armour. Um, Kane had been until recently been happy with his work, although he always resented being number two. Um, and he's started to be, enjoy it less following a meeting with an Astartes from the Salamanders uh, named Strachan who once again was making demands on behalf of Primarch Vulcan and showing his displeasure that supplies were not making their way to his legion. Uh, the Salamanders were, like all the others, on a war footing um, and expending an extraordinary amount of ammo and eating into the reserves that the attached Mechanicum forces were producing. Uh, and things were starting to look like they would run out soon without fresh supplies reaching them. Uh, following the meeting, Kane set off to meet with Kelber Howe to relay the information. Um, before being able to enter the Fabricator General's inner sanctum, he had to pass through Skatari Guard, huge hulking warriors adapted for intimidation and war. And although they had seen them countless times, he still had to conform to the security protocols. <clears throat> Even though he is second in command, he still has to go for it. He, yep. had, hold, he held out his hand and the lead Skatari, who... Um, took it and appearing to be a handshake. The palms are actually meshed um, until the Skatari's eyes turned green after the correct codes are passed from hand to hand. And he is then allowed to enter. Um, underground still, Dahlia and the gang um, are being taken by Zeph to an inner forge, which is a rare honour and one they never believed they would get. Uh, still not aware of what the Akashic reader um, is they're excitedly talking amongst themselves on the way through the forge. Eventually, they reach a high ceiling chamber with a dozen armed servitors surrounding the cylinder shaped building, each having its arms replaced with huge weaponry. Um, they ask if this is so important. Why um, does she have servitors protecting rather than warriors that can think for themselves? Mm-hmm. And Zeph says that what she's going to show them benefits from the protection of those that can't gossip. <laughs> Def- definitely not sus. No, totally not, on the level. No. Um, as they enter the cylindered room, they come onto a lift platform with railings spiring down into the darkness. Uh, and not keen on heights, she closes her eyes. And uh, Romo, Romo 31 asks her, um, Are you not comfortable with this mode of travel? And she says that she doesn't like heights. <laughs> and he just. It's not going to go down well in the mechanic yeah, world. Like, it's to- totally illogical. Yeah, he's just like, come on, you're, you're only walking. She didn't like the lava. She doesn't like heights. He doesn't care. No. 
Yeah, it, it's not something that, that bothers him. <laughs> no. Um, so with that, they begin the descent, um, and they as they go further down, it gets colder, um, which Dahlia feels is odd, seeing as they're passing through uh, and close to lava, and it should be much hotter. But no one really gives her an answer, and they all carry on in silence. But Dahlia starts to feel as if she can hear voices talking to her. Um, she looks at Zeph and Romu and sees flickering scraps of light moving between them as if they are talking non-verbally. And Zeph looks, as, looks at her as if she knows, uh, if she knows that Dahlia has seen it. Uh, and Dahlia, Dahlia looks away um, and asks um, Caxton, can you hear any voices? Mm. Um, which he can't. Um, she asks the others and sees the way Zeph is staring at her and she says she must be able to hear them. And, and Zeph says no, but she knows what you're talking about. Um, and uh, the fact that Dahlia can hear these voices is why she's so special. Um, they come to a stop, and Zeph says that all will become clear in time, but save your questions until I have shown you the wonders of my forge. Uh, and we jump back and forth between these secret meetings now. We go back to uh, Kelbor Howe. Yep. He's still looking out of his forge uh, in his office, uh, standing next to his automaton, and Kane approaches them. Um, Kane isn't a fan of the automatons uh, and doesn't believe that the human form should be copied by machinery. Uh, he doesn't mind augmentations, but not replication. Yep. Uh, he has also been gifted one by Crom, but decided to leave it turned off in the back of his forge, unused. Uh, smiling to himself is his own funny contradictions. Um, Cowboy Howe has a green glow emitting from his head, which shows that he's in the middle of some sort of... Um, conjugating and Kane decides not to disturb him uh, and sort of looks out of the forge upon the sacred lands of Mars. Uh, he then uses enhanced vision and he can see out across the domain of the fabricated general and surveys the land around the tim- uh, around the fastest quadrangle. Um, and essentially this bit describes uh, everything on the map. So if you go back, if you've got the book or you go back to the um, other episode where we showed you the map, he literally describes where everything is, yep. uh, and that's like a couple of paragraphs, so I'm not, I'm not going to uh, butcher that. For <laughs> <one>. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it sort of sets out where, where they are and where everyone else is. So after a bit of sightseeing, um, Kelber House stops what he's doing and simply says, Kane, you're unscheduled. Um, and Kane explains an urgent matter has arisen and needed to bring it to his attention and tells him to hurry up. Uh, and uh, Kelber Howe tells him to hurry up. I've got an, a meeting with Ambassador Melbourne in 8.3 minutes. Um, Very precise. <laughs> yeah. And he is going to be ensuring the loyalty of the legions of Mars. Um, and Kane thinks that's an odd comment, as loyalty shouldn't be in question. Um, and he's worried that someone as power-hungry as Melbourne would be judging any senior adepts. Uh, and Kane tells him about the issue with the supply chain to the Astartes Legion, and Kelbor snaps, telling him that he designed the route and supply systems himself. There's no room for error or misunderstanding. And Kane tries to tread softly and suggests it's a human error. Um, and he knows that Kelbor how hates humans. Um, he accepts this, and Kane has to step in to stop him going on a tangent about human errors, and tells him there is a clear pattern within the supply issues. <clears throat> the expectation is that the units operating furthest from Mars would be having um, supply issues, as that's most logical, because they're yeah. further away. But it isn't that simple. Regardless of the situation or the location, the legions who are having no issue at all are those serving directly under orders of the War Master. 
Oh, Dun-dun-dun. Interesting. Yeah. <clears throat> and then, just to finish the chapter, uh, Zeph takes Dahlia and the group through to the Inner Forge, which is 600 metres in diameter in a perfect uh, hemispherical cavern. The walls are a latticework of small chambers, each containing a human, being plugged and ribbed with cables and wires. And there are thousands and thousands of them lining the walls. Uh, looking at the ones closest, they appear to be identical, encapsulated within their chambers under a translucent casing. Their muscles were stretched over skeletons beneath the skin, clad in simple robes, and the individuals writhed in constant motion. Severin quickly asks if they are psychers, and Zooch booms, of course they are. Uh, and um, Dahlia corrects them and tells them they're psychers. Oh, clearly, I've mistyped something here. Um, yes, they're psychers. I don't know what Severin asked they were, um, but they're psychers. I've uh, clearly made a mistake there. <laughs> Severin didn't know what they were. Zooch thought he was right and they were wrong, but Dahlia tells them that they're psychers. They, they are um, indeed psychers. Um, that's the end of that chapter. Empaths. I yeah. believe is the Empaths, uh, that's it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, uh, a bit more conspiracy unfolding on both sides there. Yeah. Like and it's yeah, it's interesting, right? So what's so from the 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 Zeph side of things and uh Dahlia, there you know, there there's a little bit, but not too much. It's it's more intrigue than conspiracy, right? So yeah. you know, there's 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 psychers at work. Um they're you know all as i said strapped up if you can only imagine that's a very strange looking area yeah um so would be unnerving to a lot of people and they come into that in the next chapter to a degree as well um i think then on the kelbor house side i think what's interesting about this is the uh the, the the it pulls the thread that um kane is unintentionally pulling at which he if he I, I guess if he'd known he wouldn't have he probably wouldn't be no but it's it's kind of like he's he's accidentally uncovered that Kelbor Howe is purposefully supplying uh Horace's legions more favorably than the loyalists or yeah. what they're, they're not loyalists at this point but is 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 purposely doing that because he admits it himself when he says there is no mistake. Yeah, and it's um, obviously until until he got there, he probably thought, "Oh, I better, I better let him know that this is going on." Yeah. Um. So clearly, being number two, he's not he's not in on it. No, no. Um, no. For whatever reason, he's just been keeping it going, and now he's asking uh, questions. He probably sh- he's probably going to regret shortly. Well, probably you know very very you know, straight up and down and innocent questions for the guy to be asking. Like, he, it should be what he's asking. Yeah. But inadvertently, he stumbled into something and shouldn't, you know, he's like, oh, probably shouldn't be asking that. If he'd known, he probably, well, he might do, but he might not. Like, he might be like, no, I'm going to keep my head here. Yeah. <clears throat> no. But it, I, I can't remember because I, I haven't read far, that far ahead, so I can't actually remember where, where we go with him now. Um, I, I'm trying but, to remember because I, I think the, what's it? I know at some point the, um, what's his name? Uh, Remiari Remiari hasn't come to life yet no. um, in it. And I, I think he has some part in it. Um, 
but I can't remember. But for Kelbor Howe's point of view, again, that the Kane may be the fabricator locum or uh, stand in second in yeah. command, but as a even of someone of that size, you're still a forge, a forge master. Mm. And whereas, um, what's his name, Maluvalus, 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 and um, Regulus might also be forge masters. They don't have a forge. Um, Whereas Kane has a forge, uh, Crom has a forge, and obviously uh, Zep has a forge. Yeah. Um, As well as other forges, like what's his name as well? The other. other Maximal. Um, Maximal, yeah. Yeah. Also, also has, they have forges. And having forges is like, you know, it's almost, it's required if you're going to have power on on Mars. And so they either have to all step into line or they're, they're going to get taken out. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> well, obviously, we'll find out uh, where Kane stands shortly. I get, well, In, indeed, yes. Um, so we'll crack on with 1.06 um, and go back to Dahlia. Um, and now, um, realising what they're looking at, Dahlia is the one who's been most affected because as they've gotten closer, the whispering voices in their head have become clearer and louder. Um, in the centre of the chamber is a golden throne, an exact replica of the machine they've just spent the last seven days building. Um, sat sleeping on the throne is a muscular-looking man with a shaved head wearing just a robe um, with several cannulas in his arm. And uh, Zeph tells them this is the Akashic Reader, her life's work. She tells them that back in the day, her teacher's teachers, teacher raided the Egyptian tribes and discovered ancient tombs containing lost technology, such as secrets of energy transfer, atomic resur- reconstructing and chemical engineering, and most importantly, human cognition and communication through the noon sphere. Um, so when you're modified to the noon sphere, information can be transferred between people with out speaking and is transferred in shoals of light. Um, and Dahlia has seen this between Zeph and Romu 31 and asks why she can see this if she's not been modified. Uh, and Zeph tells her this is because of your connection to the ether. Um, they need to tutor her mind so she can control it. And with their help, they can read and her help. They can all read the Akashic reader records written in the fabric of the universe itself. Um, so essentially it's the way of learning how to create again um, the machine they've built is going to let them tap into the ether and read the information um, and basically figure out how you can be an inventor yeah. uh, and stuff so uh, Dahlia asks why it hasn't worked before and Zeph is hesitant because she doesn't want to show any gaps in her knowledge um, but reluctantly tells them that both great knowledge and great power come great sacrifice. It takes a great deal of physical and psychic energy to open the gates to the ether and link an empath to read the Akashic records that a human can only look at for so long before they overload. Um, many will die, but most simply just shut down. Their brains will be reduced to fused masses of pulpy organic material. Um, essentially, like, a fancy way of saying that they die. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't know what her, her, her opinion of brain dead and just being dead are different, clearly. 
yeah, it's quite a description, really. That it's like when she goes at this point, I think she she goes into it and like their brains turn into like what is she, like fleshy pulp. Yeah, it's, it's like, like you're you're not going to die, but your brain's going to turn into it's pulp. Just gonna, it's just going to be like a. <laughs> it's not going to be a brain anymore. <laughs> no. Well, maybe they're just maybe that's how they make servitors. Oh, I mean, they, they do. Yeah, I mean, the, the, in all fairness, the, the servitors are lobotomized, right? And yeah. You know, it's it's the motor functions that remain, and everything else is is just taken it's, away. Uh, it's it's our equivalent of being a dreadnought. If you get mortally wounded, you don't get to be a dreadnought; you get to be a servitor. Yes, yeah, yeah, that's that's exactly it. it would, <laughs> I mean, but you know, that's it's an interesting. But that's what they do with failed. Um, conscripts right yeah. those that don't make it to be a starty some of them become like legion sir yes, yeah. which is you know the best you can hope for yeah. others you get half your brain taken out and then you're loading weapons for the rest of your life fantastic yeah where do we sign up uh there's no as i said there's no good guys there's no, <laughs> <sign>. <laughs> there's no um, good guys <laughs> yeah grim um right so um but in the fleeting moments that a human is connected, you can learn such wonders that can't be believed. Um, so Dahlia finds it hard to look at the psychers in their cells, um, realising they're just human fuel. Yep. Um, the Feta Wave Enhancer they built will help the empath remain connected for longer and support his mind. Uh, Zeph said to Dahlia that she has the natural link to the ether and together they can unlock the secrets of the universe. Dahlia steps back quickly and says, tell me you're not going to strap me into that thing. Um, and Zeph says that she's far too valuable uh, and she can relax. And although that was supposed to set her at ease, Dahlia has a strange suspicion that she was now property of the Mechanicum. But despite herself, she still wants to be part of it. And so does the rest of the group. Yeah. Um, right. So going to slightly um, bigger things now. Old Stator. He had found Maven alive in the wreckage following the explosion. All three knights had been damaged, but Maven's um, Equitus Bellum was the closest to destruction, and it was a miracle they survived the explosion of Maximal's Forge. Um, they'd all been recovered back to the chapter house, um, and Maven's wounds were mostly healed. He had some mm-hmm. cracked ribs reset and burnt flesh repaired with synthetics. Um, his stigmatic wounds still remain as a result of being linked to the night, but he was on the mend. When he had recovered enough, he was told that um, his night was going to be scrapped um, and he had petitioned the Lord Commander for, um, to save it. But after inspection had been finished, no word had come down um, and a giant breaking servitors were being made ready. Uh, Maven took action, stood before the down knight with his sign arm drawn and ready to kill anyone who came near him. Um, and luckily, uh, Verticorda arrived and authorised the repairs on his night. And Maven has stood watch on the railings above ever since. So it goes just back to like how precious they are, or how connected they are to the, to their machines. Like it's not just a, it's not just a cast of them, is it? It's part of them. Yeah, it's it's very much like as I said, it's a bit like, um, you know, in like the Dark Angels books or the one the ones we've read so far. Yeah. They're very kind of medieval um and feudal in that regard yeah. the night the, the, the houses of knights on mars is exactly the same stuff right it's yeah this is like his uh his war horse right and it's yeah. like you're not you can't you're not taking that away from 
it's like there's there's this connection that that, that, that obviously they've had and they share and it's very much in that in that kind of frame the way they put it yeah um yeah i mean it's like he, he'd rather go down there and just die fighting than than get a new then get a new one i'm not having a new one yeah, yeah. It's, uh, i like this it, one get equitus bellum like you know with its dodgy limp and you know yeah. one gun i'll i'll take him that's the thing though he's probably got it tattooed on his back so he feels stupid getting a new one <laughs> So yeah. <laughs> anyway, so he, he stood watching over and um, Cronus joins him and asks if there's been any news. Um, the repairs have been taking a long time um, and Maven feels like he will ne- not be the same until he gets revenge on the machine that attacked them. Cronus said that the machine must have been destroyed. It was a miracle that Maven had survived. Um, and Cronus is sceptical, but Maven insists the machine was void protected and must be out in the wasteland still. Yeah. Um, only Titans are void shielded, but Maven is adamant. He felt something off about this enemy as if it had no pilot. He couldn't sense any emotion for it or fear when he had hit it and no pride when it had hit him. Um, so not quite a robot, but not controlled either. It was some sort of sentient machine. And the only reason he thinks it's a, he survived is because it was its first mission and it was still learning how to fight. Yeah. And he vowed how to find it and kill it. What came first, this or The Incredibles? Because that sounds very Incredibles. Um, Probably this. <laughs> this this did come first, but yeah. you know, I, I to a degree, I think the this is a side tangent. Yeah. In my head, I imagine the uh, the the this 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 creature or the, this construct that they're after could look a bit like the uh, the bad robot in Incredibles. Well, that, that's um, it, isn't it? It's sort of described as big and round with. Yeah. Some uh, long, long metal arms. And hmm. I'm gonna. It, we, I think we need to write a letter to. Um, is it Disney or Pixar? And find they're out. Both, they're both the same. Yeah. Where'd you get your inspiration? Yeah, they won't. They'll never tell us just because uh, we're GW soon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so in the darkest vaulted chambers beneath Olympus Mons, three robed figures made their way through an old, dusty, unused passageways that have been abandoned for a hundred years. Yep. Um, Kelber Howe was surprised to detect some adrenaline levels within himself, which usually amounted to excitement. Behind him, the automaton followed silently and Regulus beside him, heading towards the vaults of Moravec. Um, a flock of servo skulls embedded with lanterns followed them light in the way. Um, and they're travelling through halls and caverns that have been abandoned for a long, long time. Um, occasionally passing stacks of dusty books with forgotten volumes of lore and ditch technology left to rust um, with each passing. Uh, but every time they passed one, Kelbor became more certain that he was doing the right thing. Um, internally, he was recording the route. He noted that they were more than 900 metres below the surface and um, he was not happy that he had to rely on Regulus to lead the way. Um, not just because he doesn't like relying on anyone, but um, he'd already been here 200 years ago, uh, accompanied by the Emperor himself, who'd led the way on that occasion. Yep. Um, and without letting him know why he was going there, and when they arrived, instead of opening the, the vaults, the Emperor looked at it, placed his hand on the door and stood silently for a few minutes before turning and walking away. Uh, Kelber had tried to protest, but it was ignored. He had been forbidden to keep any record of the route, um, to the vaults, but Kelber had schemed to record it anyway. 
Um, but on reaching the surface, he discovered that somehow the memory bank had been erased. Furious at the invasion of privacy, he challenged the emperor, who in turn said, if you try and open the vault, we'll go back, then our pact is off. Um, and he had been forced to abandon that particular ambition until today. Regulus announced their arrival in a huge chamber, which apart from uh, one side was completely smoothed down stone, polished and gleaming like marble. But the one wall was different, uh, was a leaf-shaped archway with simple-looking door beneath it, uh, with an even more simple digital keypad and a locking wheel, covered in a curtain of energy invisible to the naked eye. Regulus approached the doorway and announced that going forward, in this um, action, will bind the Mechanicum to the cause of Horus Lupercal. Enjoying some theatrics, Regulus asked Kelbor if he knew that Moravac had been branded as a witch. Uh, Kelbor said that he didn't know and doesn't really want the history lesson, but Regulus continues um, and tells him that Moravac's uh, last prophecy was the coming of the Omissiah, and he was the primus of the sect of, this is a hard word to say, singul- singular... Terrianism, yes. uh, which key belief was that there was a technical technological singularity capable capable of a greater than human intelligence, and his sect had worked endlessly to try and bring it into creation. However, they had failed and were defeated on terror and driven back to Mars. This is a lot of long words for me to say, and I've not got a track record with long words. You're doing okay at the moment. <laughs> um, Regulus corrects him. Um, and says that Moraviak didn't fail, um, but he was too dangerous for the Emperor. Uh, and the reason the Emperor didn't keep him around is because he made packs of entities far older than the race of men. In fact, the same entities that Horus is dealing with now. Mm-hmm. Um, they are on the cusp of unlocking technology that can operate in unimaginable ways powered by the warp. Um, and Kelbar says, get on with it. And they open the vault. And uh, Regulus gave the instructions of the correct protocols and they begin with information flowing to each other at lightning speed, um, which he monitored until he begins noticing discrepancies, deviations and errors that start pouring out through him at alarming speed until he's hit with a scrap code. He called out to Regulus that the code is corrupted. Regulus reassures him that it's not corrupted code, but it's been freed from the shackles of the natural law of men and will open his mind to the powers of the warp. Um, Kelbor felt a pain like fire as a scrap code infects his system and then feels power flowing through him and he hears whisperings of voices giving him the secrets to lost technology. Regulus asks uh, for orders and Kelbor Howe tells him to contract, contact Princess Camelos. It is time for Legio Mortis to walk. So they're uh, they're over the threshold now. There's that's no it. turning back. Yeah, that's it. They've gone. They've uh, they've yeah. They've they've uh, they've they've moved forward. He's gone. As I said, Cowboy Howard's He's been wanting to do this for a while. He's been empowered by Regulus to do it. Um, he is obviously undergoing his own warp ritual um but in this case the form of uh chaos infected scrap code um which um obviously for something like the mechanicum um where they're all connected um you know and they use this binaric um uh, binaric code that that effectively flows throughout the planet it's going to infect all of the systems 
and spread effectively spread like a virus. Mm. Um, and at the moment, like it's it's opened Kelbo Howe's eyes to uh, to to what else is out there. Mm. Um, obviously, this is one of the reasons why the emperor locked it all away. Um, you know, again, we know from some of the stuff he's done in the past. Maybe if he just said something. There wouldn't be too much of an issue, but yeah. no, instead he's like, I know best, I'm going to lock it away. Um, and that in itself has, has caused Kelbor Howe to want to want to refind it and see what the deal is anyway, because it's all lost knowledge and that's that's what he wants to pursue. He yeah. doesn't believe knowledge should be should be forgotten. Like let's let's create and make with it. Um, but he is now being given all of the knowledge. I suppose to create and make uh, in a way that the emperor is not happy with. It's potentially chaos, chaos powered. Interestingly, I was thinking about this the other day because mm. um, there's there's a lot of talk about um, uh, what's his name? Um, who's the current fabricator general? Belisarius Call. Right. In the in current law, so he's the guy that made the primaris. Right. He's the guy that has been running around making new things. Yeah. The emperor wouldn't be happy with that. No. No. And in theory, Call could be seen as quite, you know, him and Kelbor Howard not necessarily cut from that different a cloth. Yeah. But it's just, you know, different time and context, right? It's the way he's gone about it. And I suppose if he's doing the, Primaris is like, well, we've got a much different enemy. Because at the minute, like the enemies are just things they're coming across. But now they're now uh, in in modern time, it is chaos, isn't it? So we're fighting other Astartes legions with the same knowledge as us mm. that are going to desperate measures. So I think the emperor would be like, okay, well, here you go, we'll do this instead. So maybe yeah. maybe if the emperor hadn't been, or at least could. Um, Give the okay for certain things. Maybe it maybe would be on board. Who knows? Who knows? But it's an in, it's an interesting analog. But anyway, that that was that's a tangent. Um, yeah, Kelbor Howe is, is like yeah, he's now much in the same way that Horace has had his eyes opened and been granted yep. powers, as it were. Same thing is happening here with 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 Kelbor Howe. Yeah, definitely. Um, cool. So. We've been going for about an hour, I guess, and we've done three chapters. We've still got another two chapters of of part one. Um, so I think, as not to keep it too long, we'll uh, wrap it up for here, um, and we will finish the first part. We'll find out what happens to um, Kelbo Howe, uh, and if Mortis does walk, indeed. And um, obviously, we'll see the um, the next part of um, Zeph and Dahlia's um, machine and see if that works, won't we? Yeah, indeed. Hmm. So we will um, thank you for joining us on this episode and uh, we hope you've enjoyed it and we hope that you'll join us for part three and however many parts because I can't believe it. Mechanicum, uh, there's so much going on. I know. <laughs> so much going on. Um, so just quickly, 
wrap it up then please join us on uh, instagram facebook twitter all the social medias at iron and ceramite um if you're watching on youtube thank you very much hope you're subscribed and you'll uh, share it with your friends if you're enjoying what we're doing and obviously you can listen to this on spotify if that's what you prefer to do um and then we've got uh, a twitch come join us on there eventually we'll all play some more games on there or maybe do a bit more um at the minute it's just me playing um, space marine and i still haven't finished it uh, and if you do want to support the channel, come join us on Patreon or um, you can use our link to Element Games, buy your books, buy your hobby equipment, get your discount. And if you use our link, then um, Element Games, give us a bit of a thank you and a kickback um, uh, for your efforts. Um, yep. We appreciate that. And like we always say, any money we get will go into uh, improving um, working on the channel. Uh, and lastly, go find our clan on Combat Cards. Um, and I think you've got to slug it out with Shane and Glenn on there. Yes, uh, that is very much the uh, the case at the moment. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, so we look forward to part three and we look forward to seeing you there. See you later. As always, we would like to thank you for listening to our Iron and Ceramite podcast. If you liked us, then you can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram and any other good podcast services. Just remember, in the grim darkness of the far future, there is only war.